Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. Well, we're joined again from our friend, Nicholas St. Sever. He is a district manager for Cortesi Tree Specialists, a Davy company. Where is that, Nick? It's uh, here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're talking all about the ultimate planting guide. So why are we planting this time of the year? So planting this time of year uh, has a lot of benefits. Uh, probably the most important one is uh, trees are getting ready to go into dormancy. Um, which um, anytime you're going to stress out a tree, which tree planting is incredibly stressful, um, anytime you could do it while they're sleeping, I use that word lightly, um, it's going to be much better for them. Um, not only that, but when you enter into the wetter season of the year, um, it's going to help develop root growth over the course of the winter, um, which means come spring, um, it's going to be much better um, equipped to actually be able to push out growth, do a lot better for you uh, the following year. Yeah, I love planting trees in the fall, no doubt about it. When you get to a property, you know, we talk about this over and over again, right tree, right place. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what you do when you get to a property and deciding where you're going to plant a tree. Are you giving them suggestions or are they asking for a certain tree? How does it usually work? So generally, our clients have an area that they want a tree planted um, or they just removed a tree and want to bring something back um, to fill that void that they now have on their property. Um, so um, generally, we're trying to, like I said, fill that space and we will start looking at like sun exposure, um, how wet the soil is, um, you know just what the goals for that tree are going to be um, like what the, what the client wants that tree to be able to actually do. Sometimes they're reasonable, sometimes they're not. Um, and then also a lot of clients have like, Oh, well, like X, Y, and Z. Um, and sometimes that actually works for that site. Sometimes it doesn't. And we could steer that client in a direction that um, or steer a client in a direction for a tree that will actually suit that, but also achieve those same same results. So when you're looking at that spot, is it just experience that you know? Like if you're just walking around on it, you can say, "Well, this is kind of this is kind of a wet area," or are there are there other tests you do, or do you just have a feel for looking at it? This is this is the right place for this certain tree. Yeah, a lot of it is experience, um, just knowing what what does well. Um, in, in certain site conditions. Um, you know, we've talked about soil testing in the past. Sometimes that's also beneficial um, because there's some trees that do really well in like acidic environments and some that do um, a lot better in alkaline um, conditions. So if you've got a highly alkaline or acidic soil, you don't want to plant something that is, is going to do poorly in those areas. Um, you know, really good example here in East Tennessee um, is like pin oaks and river birches. They uh, they get a lot of iron deficiencies because the soil pH um, is too alkaline. 
um, it's not acidic enough for them, um, which means that there's certain nutrients that are tied up in the soil that just aren't available for them. And then long term, you know, you've got problems that end up popping up. So, you know, when we plant a tree, we want to look at it long term. You know, that tree's going to be there 100 years, not something that's you're going to plant and then rip out in five years down the road or 10 years down the road. Um, you know, when again, when I'm planting, I'm trying to plant something that's going to outlive me um, and, and the client and, you know, a very long time. When the pH is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, you can't change the pH for a tree that's going to be there 100 years. You might be able to change pH for a year, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but but not for the long term. That that pH, that's just how it is, right? And so you have to choose the tree that that wants to grow in that type of pH, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. There there is no point in trying to change the pH. It's um, it's it, you can change it temporarily, but uh, typically it ends up just resorting right back to what it was. So it's not worth it. So tell me why I would benefit from having somebody that knows what they're doing put my tree in. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there's yeah, that's a great question. Um, so most trees, um, especially here in East Tennessee, um, the nursery stock that we end up getting in um, is not. Um, there, there's a lot of like structural defects, not only in the crown but also in the roots. Um, so if you're just going to go out and pull a tree or buy a tree from a nursery, and you don't know what you're looking for. You could have trees that are planted too deep, um, actually in the root ball or um, in the container. You could have a lot of girdling of roots. And some of that stuff is unavoidable. I mean, sometimes you're just going to get that and you just need to correct it at the time of planting. Um, but planting is a lot more in-depth than just taking a tree out of a pot and digging a hole and sticking it in the ground. Um, There's a lot of best management practices that go into it and a lot of like pruning, especially in the root system to make sure that that tree is going to live a very, very long time um, instead of just a year or two years or five years. So let's start there because I, we've never really covered that on the podcast. uh, And I know it might be hard to explain, you know, it would be easy to have something and show it, but talk a little bit about root pruning and in general, what are you, what are you looking for when you, when you open that, if it's in a bald and burlap or if it's in a pot, you pull it out there, what do you want it to look like? And if it doesn't look the way you want it to look like, how do you change it? Yeah. So bald and burlap and containerized trees are going to have their own separate set of issues that come with them. Um, we'll start with containerized stock because um, that's what most people are familiar with, but with a containerized stock, um, you know, when you pull that out, generally that tree has been in that pot way too long and you're going to have roots that are gir- what we call girdling roots um, where they hit the ed- edge of the pot and then they start to circle. And if you don't take that off um, at the time of planting, those, those roots will continue to girdle through the life of the plant. The problem with that is 10 years down the road, you know, that root that was the size of your pinky or smaller um, is now the size of, you know, your wrist. And that is going to start cutting off circulation to the tree because the tissues or that root is going to compress the tissues on the main stem. It's going to kill everything above it. So how to correct that is when you take it out of that pot, 
um, rough up the root ball. When we plant, we just shave off um, the outer portion of the root ball and cut off the bottom of it. Um, and that seems pretty drastic. Um, but with a containerized plant, you're dealing with 100% of the root system. Um, so you could be a little bit more aggressive with it than a bald and burlap, which you're only dealing with 20 to 30% of the root system. So if you're dealing with a containerized stock and you take off 20% of the root system, you're still a lot better um, than necessarily a bald and burlap plant. The other thing with containerized, and this is true for um, bald and burlap, is you want to dig down in that container and figure out where your root flare is, find that first major root. And that is where, um, or that your, your root flare or that first major root has to be planted at grade. It cannot be planted below grade. Some people plant it above grade. I don't agree with that either. It needs to be planted at grade. Don't do that long-term. You're going to have issues. Um, and again, that tree's not going to outlive us. And boy, that is so critical from, from just doing the podcast and talking to, to you, Nick, and, and other people that, you know, we run over that a lot, uh, especially planting too deep. And mm-hmm. I know you see it every day and I see it every day too. And I wonder when a plant is, a tree is planted too deep and we get five years in, is there anything you guys can do to help that or, or, or not? Yeah. So, um, so, when you've got a tree planted too deep and it's not even necessarily that people think they're planting them too deep because um, I'm going to back up on you a little bit here, like a bald and burlap. Um, they are, I've seen them where they're six inches, eight inches too deep in the actual root ball. Um, so when people just plant it at grade at the top of that root ball, they think they're good, but really they're, they're way too deep to begin with. Um, so, Preferably, you correct that at the time of planting, you take all that topsoil off. But if, um, let's say, we go out to property and their tree's starting to struggle that they planted five years ago, um, we could go in with an air spade, blow away all the soil around the base of it, re-expose that root flare, and try to um, adjust that grade a little bit to make it a lot more friendly for, for that tree and try to prevent that decay that's going to inevitably um, overtake that tree. And then uh, let me understand this between the containerized plant and the bald and burlap. Talk about those roots again. So in the bald and burlap, what is it about that that you were saying with the roots? Like in a containerized one, you can take 14% of it away. Is, so, then, but what, yeah. Yeah. So when you're dealing with a containerized um, plant, you've got 100% of the root system there. When you've, when you've got a tree that's bald and burlap, that was uh, field dug, you may only be dealing with 20 to 30% of the root system. You lose 80 to 70% of that root system. So when, yeah, so when you're dealing with your containerized stock, don't be afraid to go in there and cut off the outer portion of it, correct any roots that are starting to girdle. Um, you could be aggressive with them. Um, even though it feels like you're killing your tree you just bought, but, um, you know, it's a lot better, a lot easier to correct that time of planting than it is five years down the road or 10 years down the road. Between those two types of trees, 
do you prefer one over the other or is there a lot of other things to think about here? Um, there's a lot of other things to think about. Um, the, I don't necessarily prefer one over the other. Um, you know, some species are just a lot better with bald and burlap, um, than containerized, but, um, what's probably more important is, you know, just, just the aftercare that you're giving those trees instead of, you know, trying to stick them in the ground, um, and just hoping for the best, um, making sure that you're, you've got like a strict watering regime after you've planted those trees, um, is really what's going to, um, make those trees survive. So, and in your, in your climate, how long would you be watering, uh, you know, if we didn't get the rain needed, uh, in, until what point in the season, like all winter long, or is there a certain point where you stop or? Yeah. So I tell my clients, um, you want to water about 15 to 20 gallons a week. Um, so, and it doesn't need to all be in one watering. So I'll typically say 20 gallons a week, you do five gallons one day, wait four or five days, do another five or 10 gallons. Um, and then that should be good for the week. If it rains or it snows, you don't need to water. Um, a lot of issues that I see after trees have been planting ends up coming up because people are actually overwatering, which I think we've talked about in the past. Um, but overwatering is, especially here in East Tennessee where we've got clay soil. I mean, when you dig a hole, if you don't dig it right, um, it's going to hold water no matter what, but especially if you don't dig it right. So if you're overwatering, it's just, I mean, just those roots are just going to rot. So, um, but to, and to finish your question, um, typically through the winter, through the summer, um, is it's basically through that first season is you want to make sure that you're getting adequate water to those plants. Well, you brought up the next place I wanted to go, which was clay soil. Mm-hmm. Lots of clay soil here. Now, what I do when I'm planting a tree is if I find pure clay, I'm just trying to find another spot i do not want to deal with with clay Mm -hmm. but i've got lots of room to find a spot i can find a spot with average garden soil Mm -hmm. in your situation you might have only one place for this yeah what what happens when you you run into clay when you say digging the right hole how do you how do you fix that problem so it kind of goes back to the first conversation or how we started um, this conversation was right tree, right place. So making sure that the trees that you're planting are going to be able to tolerate that clay soil. And then when you actually go to plant your tree, um, you want to follow best management practices. So when you start digging your hole, um, you want that hole to be two to three times the diameter of the root ball that you're going to end up sticking in there. And you want to make sure it's only to the depth of, um, basically where your root flare is. If you dig too deep and then you've got a backfill or you dig too deep and then stick it in there, um, it'll end up settling over time and then your tree's going to be too deep. Um, so, I mean, there's not really a whole lot of fixes you can do with it outside of just digging the right hole, make sure that soil is nice and loose around it um, so that the tree can readily root out into the soil that it's going to have to deal with its entire life. And some trees just aren't going to be right for that spot. Correct. Okay, I get it. And 
how about fertilization? Is that something we do when it's planted or later? Or what's the best practice to, that you like to recommend? So we generally recommend, um, it, so we don't put a whole lot of um, soil conditioners at the time of planting. And the reason for that is because we don't want to get a bunch of roots out into that hole that we dug, and then they just want to stay there, especially in clay soil, because if you make that a nutrient-rich rich environment, they're not going to want to go out and seek um, the nutrients that they need. So we don't do it at the time of planting. We will um, get little mycorrhizae packets, mix that in with the soil um, to enhance root growth. Um, but we won't start fertilizing until probably two years after a tree's been planting, planted. Excuse me. And how about a staking that tree so it stands up straight? Do I have to do that? No, no, you do not. We do not recommend it at all. Um, we, Why do I see it all the all the, we? You got, yeah. I got people taking garden <laughs> hoses and cutting them up, and what you know, three different lines here and there. Yeah. I I really do not know where that where that all came from of like staking every single tree. But if you plant a tree. Um, and it doesn't need a stake, um, or it's not falling over like, just leave it alone, let it root out into the soil and it will stabilize itself. Um, now sometimes, you know, if you end up going in and removing a bunch of the soil and you take a bunch of that root ball off, sometimes it's just going to fall over. Um, and at that point, yes, you do need staking. The problem with staking is that the tree doesn't really get a feel for the environment it's in and it doesn't react to environmental forces so every time that tree moves blows in the wind it's feeling that it's getting ready to fall over and its reaction to that is it'll put out additional roots wherever it needs to and also build reaction tissue in the main stem to be able to support itself if you put a stake on there and hold it nice and tight so it can't move um, and i've actually got a client that did this um, this is a great example is everything below that stake will almost become atrophied and everything below it will get like really bulbous and start creating the, the reaction tissue that it needs. So um, do not stake if you do not have to. If you do have to stake, um, make sure it's loose so it can still move around a little bit. Um, and then really that stake should not be on there for more than a year. And then how about mulching? Are we supposed to do that at time of planting? Yes, everything everything should be mulched. <laughs> Um, but yeah, definitely mulch at the time of planting. We generally just the size of the, the hole that we dug, you know, that two to three times the size of the root ball ends up getting mulch or out to the drip line, just depending on, um, what looks better. But yeah, definitely start mulching right away at time of planting. What are you mulching with? Anything just like your bark mulch or? Yeah, just like a hardwood mulch is fine. Um, I, I tell people, um, you know, match the mulch to whatever type of tree you're, you're planting. So if you're planting a pine tree, um, you know, it's fine to go in with pine straw. Um, if you're planting an oak, just go in with like a native or not native, but just go in with a hardwood mulch. Um, I tend to steer people away from dyed mulches because dyed mulches can actually leach chemicals and a bunch of garbage and nasty stuff into your soil and it could actually kill your microbes. Um, and you definitely don't want that. You want those microbes there to help increase root growth. Do you see a lot of dyed mulch still? I 
I kind of see that as kind of a dying thing, but is it something that's out there a lot? Like people putting different colored mulches on? Yeah we, see, yeah, we see a lot of it here in East Tennessee. So I don't know. I don't know about other parts of the country, but definitely here in Knoxville. And not a good thing to do. No. And then if you don't mind, you know, again, I might sound like a broken record for people who listen to this, where the mulch should be in regards to the bottom of the tree. So best management practices for mulching is two to four inches deep, nothing in contact with the root flare, and then out to the base. So... Um, just depending on what kind of soil you have, we tend to steer towards the two inches because of the heavy clay soil. If you're sandy soil, you can go four inches. Um, big thing is, again, nothing in contact with the base of that tree for the same reason that we talked about in regards to not um, not planting your tree too deep. It will hold moisture up against the base. It'll start to decay and then eventually end up killing your tree. So um, nothing in contact. If you want, you could kind of feather it up just to make sure everything's covered um, and it looks nice, but do not do that. Do not volcano mulch. Just don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's our mantra. I think we need a t-shirt that says something about volcano mulch. (laughs) Hey, before I let you go, um, tell me a couple of your favorite trees. Now, we've already said right tree, right right place. We know that. But just tell me a couple of your favorites, something that's cool that you, you like and you enjoy when you can find the right spot for it to, to turn a client onto it. Yeah, so one of my favorites, um, and they're a little finicky, so it's kind of hard to um, find the right spot for it, but I've got a bunch of them planted in my yard as a sourwood. Um, yeah. Just a phenomenal tree. Um, they, re- they really don't have many pest issues. They can be a little sensitive to... Um, like drought stress, but gorgeous fall color. Um, it's like a pinkish red. Um, they get late season blooms, which is kind of rare. So, um, especially when it comes to trees, um, really good for honeybees. Um, if anybody's heard of like sourwood honey, that's, that's a tree that it comes from. Um, and then they have a really nice, like blocky bark. It almost looks like alligator skin. Um, so it's just, you've got year round interest on those trees and they get about, 30, 40 feet tall. So what is finicky about them? Just the watering? Just the watering. Yeah. They they could be really sensitive to, um, too much water or too little water. So, um, if they're not, um, well-maintained, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna struggle. So it's an understory tree. So they're being planted out in the open, um, can be a little stressful for them. Well, I, that leads me to another question, actually, because I use that term all the time, and you do too, understory. But I, when I used that term on Facebook the other day, somebody said, what do you mean by understory? <laughs> so, you know, it's a tree that grows underneath like the bigger trees. Is mm-hmm. there another way to explain it? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. So if you were to walk through a forest, um, you know, dogwood is not going to be you know, if you fly over a forest, you are not going to be able to see dogwoods. You're going to see oaks and hickories and maples and that sort of thing. If you're walking through the forest, the trees that are right in front of you um, or that you can actually observe the foliage on are going to be your understory trees, like your dogwoods, your redbuds, um, some of your cherries, that sort of thing. So, Seems obvious to us as tree, tree people, but Sometimes you, you, you know, you have a term like that you use all the time and then 
you don't realize that some people might not get it. That's actually another thing to consider is like when you're, if you're walking through the forest and you see a tree, you just absolutely love, um, you know, if it's an understory or overstory tree, that's going to, that's going to determine the light conditions that it's going to want to deal with um, either full sun, part sun or like full shade. Like you don't want to take an understory tree, stick it out in your front yard with no protection whatsoever from, you know, late afternoon sun um, because it's just going to bake like dogwoods. I don't know what it is about people in dogwoods, but everybody plants their dogwoods in the middle of their front yard and they are an understory tree and they almost always have like a thracnose or boars or all kinds of nasty issues and they never look as good as they should because it's just, it's an understory tree. So, you know, taking those principles that we find in nature, bring them into your landscape, that's going to ultimately um, lead to great success. Well, Nick, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's a great way to finish up. As always, thanks for joining us here on the Talking Trees podcast. I always enjoy talking to you and always learn something new. So thanks again, Nick. I enjoyed it, Doug. You know, I've been planting trees for 40 years and still Nick has information that I can use. That's pretty amazing. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I am your host, Doug Oster. Next week, we talk about Davy's innovative program partnering with professional sports teams in Cleveland to improve the tree canopy in the city. I think you'll be surprised as to how many trees have been planted. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. As always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.